So, you know, in the meditation, we usually start by just choosing one object, which, you know, is like an anchor for the mind in, in the present moment. Because as you have well observed by now, is the mind always tends to, you know, go into thinking about past and future, hopes and fears. The mind isn't very tolerant, you know, of just being without commenting on, you know, what is happening. The mind always wants to kind of add something to it in terms of, you know, com putting it in into compartments of good and bad and yes and no and wanting and not wanting and so on and so forth. That's what the thinking mind does. And there's a certain value in that. But if we, you know, kind of get overly concerned with all of that, that thinking, we really, you know, we, we, we are losing connection with our experience. And, and we go into, you know, we are staying up there in the mind. And we are not kind of in direct connection with our experience. So we never learn anything new. We always, you know, tend to repeat the past again and again because we have always the same thoughts about similar things. And, you know, the meditation is a technology which helps us to kind of... Uh, you know, move out of this habitual commenting on experience and through that, you know, always attracting the same thing again and again because we, we just uh, tend to recreate what we are constantly thinking about because our energy, you know, takes on like a certain vibration which then attracts a similar vibration and, and we are we're getting stuck, you know, in a, in, a, in a certain way of experiencing the world and you know, of, of having relationships in a certain way, and it goes on and on and on. And in order to get a perspective on it, we have to ground ourselves in the present moment and uh, develop a different relationship to our experience. And for example, you know, all of those different objects of meditation we can choose may it be, you know, like concentrating on the breath here or concentrating on the breath there or having a mantra or looking at a candle flame or visualizing, you know, whole, uh, you know, God realms or, or meditating, you know, doing metta meditation or any of the other Brahma Viharas. They are so endless, uh, you know, different objects of meditation in the Pali canon. It's about like 40 different objects, but there's many more than that. And, you know, every lineage, every teacher will say, you have to do my object because it's, it has worked for me, you know, but we have to just find what works for us. And I think, you know, taking the breath as an object, you know, to keep the mind in the present, I think is a kind of the choker of all meditation objects. You know, it, it, it's, it's suitable for many, many people. And the Buddha himself, you know, in his uh, practice in the, in the uh, night of his enlightenment, he obviously used anapanasati, which is mindfulness with breathing in and breathing out. So that's a, a very universal object of meditation, which is pretty neutral because, you know, everybody has breath because otherwise we wouldn't be alive. And it doesn't have much cultural connotation to it, whereas some of the mantras or visualizations or, you know, sound meditations and so on, they have a, maybe quite a strong cultural, you know, import they bring with them. So that's why, you know, the breath is, is, is 
I feel is a very good object and it's always available. It's very simple and it's quite refined. So it, it really, you know, is necessary for the mind to kind of, uh, you know, refine itself to the degree that it can stay with something so simple as the breath and so kind of potentially boring as the breath is, you know, because it has nothing special about the breath. So, you know, to be able to stay with something so simple requires, you know, a lot of um, skillful effort, you know, to be able to stay with it. And through that effort, you know, through that input of energy, the mind, you know, refines itself. And then through that refinement and sensitizing, you know, the mind is much more able to notice many other things which it wasn't able to notice before. And... Uh, you know, and I myself, when I started to meditate like over 20 years ago, I was uh, was taught in Thailand by Ajahn Buddha Dasa, and he was teaching Anapanasati in 16 steps and uh, suggesting, you know, to concentrate here, like where the breath, you know, goes in and out from the nose. So in order to really, you know, kind of develop a very strong concentration. And, you know, in the forest in Thailand where there was nothing much to do, there was kind of something which could be done, whereas, you know, living in, a, in the West now, living a very engaged life, I, I just do not, uh, it doesn't work for me so much, you know, to have such a small object for concentration, so that's, and then when I was in, um, you know, in England and I was uh, living in, in Archon Sumedos Monastery, we were doing a lot of the whole body breathing, you know, having a bigger approach living in community, you know, there's a lot going on and, you know, having a more engaged practice, a community practice, it felt to be much more practical, you know, to not be so um, exclusive with, with the meditation, to not shut the whole world out in order to be able to feel the breath going in and out here. It felt much more, you know, kind of compassionate and also practical, you know, to just have a bigger object, like use the whole body breathing. And uh, that's what I'm still doing now, you know. When I sit down, I, I take the whole body breathing as an object. And then, for example, you're sitting down and taking the whole body breathing as an object and then just sitting with that, you know. And then the mind tends to wander off into the past, into the future, hopes and fears as you all observe, you know. And whenever I notice it, sometimes I get caught up in it if it's especially kind of fascinating or scary or whatever, you know, five minutes down the line, oh, noticing it. And then once I notice it, I just come back to the object of body, you know, breathing in and breathing out. And then at one time, you know, maybe it, it starts to calm down, the thoughts start to calm down, and there might be no more thoughts. So there's just like the ability then to just be with the body breathing in and breathing out, and then the breath, you know, starts to get a bit slower, and and the breath gets a bit more refined, and there might come the point, you know, where we can't feel the breath anymore because it gets so quiet, and then that's the that's the that's the kind of the turning point, you know, at that moment, then instead of trying, you know, to find the breath and trying to kind of getting all scared, I'm not breathing anymore, I'm going to die and all of those things, you just turn your awareness to, to that which knows the breath or, you know, that which recognizes that there is the breath cannot be um, 
recognized anymore because it has gone so quiet. So then we turn our awareness towards awareness itself. So then we, you know, we, we become aware of the knowing rather than that which is known. You know, rather the optic breath, the body breathing, a sound, a thought, anything, you know, is an object which arises in awareness, an object which we can know. And one of its characteristics is that it is impermanent. And for example, when the breath, you know, cools down, uh, um, you know, becomes really so quiet that we can't anymore discern it, then we turn the awareness towards the knowing itself. And, you know, and then we become basically, we familiarize ourselves with the fact that there's objects, you know, which are arising and ceasing. And there's that which knows the objects. And that's really, you know, the, a very important step in the meditation to recognize that difference. So there is the objects arising and ceasing in awareness and awareness itself. And you know, the true nature of the mind is this very awareness, this, this capacity to know. And within, in that knowing, all objects arise and cease. And you know, all of, ex, of our experience of, the, of ourselves and of our world, you know, arises and ceases within awareness. And you know, if we can, you know, become really skilled, you know, in turning our awareness towards itself and being not so dependent on those objects, you know, then we start to have much more freedom and space in our lives. And that's why we do this meditation, you know. We, this is the reason why we, why we start sitting down. And this is, you know, what the Buddha tries to kind of guide us with endless uh, suttas and books and page numbers and so on. All of those materials, they're all there, you know, to guide us to kind of wean ourselves off from this addiction to those objects, you know. Some are good, and some are bad, and some are pleasant, and some are unpleasant, some are scary, and all of that, you know. And we get completely kind of caught up in those objects. And, and you know, and the meditation wants to, you know, show us that there is much more than those objects, you know. And the mediation wants to kind of uh, support us to develop that capacity, you know, to to have a have a greater perspective onto those objects, you know, to have a, to live a much bigger life than just you know running after or running away from objects. And and one way, you know, of, of how we can uh, define what wisdom is all about is, you know, to lose the fear of those objects. You know, that's what is wisdom. And compassion as well, you know. To lose the fear of those objects arising and ceasing in our own mind and heart and arising and ceasing in, in others, you know, and then they react, you know, in, in different ways, you know, which can drive us up the wall and all the rest, as you might have noticed. So... You know, that's, that's what, what this teaching wants to enable us, you know, to, to kind of uh, have much a bigger picture in our lives, you know, and, to, and we can only do that if we come into direct experience with those objects. And this is what the, you know, kind of like using the body breathing as, 
as a, as a meditation technique, you know, that teaches us to come down from the abstraction in the head, you know, into the body, so we can really learn from our experience. Because if we are not in direct contact with experience, we, we don't learn much. You know, we are constantly kind of, we maybe, you know, know all of the suttas by heart and know the page numbers and all of that, but we have never experienced what the Buddha really is speaking about. Because that doesn't help, you know. Because wisdom, uh, or panya, how it's called in Pali, is, is not a body of knowledge. But it, it's a way of meeting experience, you know, directly. And not kind of putting like a hundred thousand layers of opinions between my experience and myself. Because that always keeps me removed and I can learn from it. So the word panya, wisdom, you know, if if we break it down into its components, means actually nya is knowledge and pa is like a prefix which gives a, a certain uh, feeling of action. You know, it's it's like it's an, an action rather than a, a body of knowledge which you can learn. You know, in from the by, by just reading and learning by heart certain you know principles. You have to bring it back into your own experience. And panya means before knowledge, you know, before you kind of recall of your, all of your past uh, opinions about something. Before that happens, you are in a direct experience with something. And this is where you learn. And, you know, to come back to the meta practice, you, you were speaking about that, you know. For example, if we, you know, if we have that capacity to really learn from our experience, we can, you know, we sometimes go through very uh, difficult times, you know, where, where a lot of heat is produced through the pro uh, transformation process, you know, where we, you know, where we are kind of not turning away from what's happening by intellectualizing about it. But... But being in direct experience, I mean, that sounds pretty simple, but it isn't, it isn't really easy to do because it is so simple. Because we, we have, you know, lost that uh, capacity for this simplicity because we are living very complex lives with, you know, so many demands and, and, and the minds are so overstimulated with so much information for us to, to just be in direct experience with, with the simplicity of what is. It's difficult. So, you know, we all have to do all of those different, uh, to go to meetings like this, you know, to learn about simplicity again, you know. It is kind of absurd, really, but that's how it is. And um, because we have lost that uh, naturalness. And, you know, obviously it has been like that, 2,500 years ago already, because otherwise the Buddha wouldn't have left us with such a big, you know, body of, of instructions. Because even then, you know, people weren't able to just simply be in touch with the experience. And, you know, in, in order to, to really um, re, you know, retrain ourselves, we have to go through a transformation process, which can be very challenging at times. And this is, you know, where we have, where there's a lot of instructions and different ways, you know, how we can investigate our experience because 
that's what's needed, you know, in order to be able to to connect and, and find a gateway into our experience. And, and I sometimes, you know, compare it with, uh, you know, composting, because, you know, no, nothing whatsoever, you know, which we, which we, you know, experience in our life cannot be used for cultivating that wisdom and compassion. And, you know, if you have a, maybe a garden at home or a compost heap, you know, we take all of the weeds from the garden and, and put them in the heap rather than, you know, throwing them away. We, we use them to, to uh, create something which we can then dig into the earth and, and make the earth, you know, the depleted earth to bring some uh, nourishment back to it. So it can again, you know, bring new flowers, new vegetables, which we can then use, you know, to nourish ourselves. And that process, you know, of a compost heap can become very, very hot, you know, but I've looked it up recently, can become like four, 150, 160, 70 degrees Fahrenheit. It can become very hot in that heap. You can't even put your hand into it. So that's, you know, the height of the process of holding steady, you know, with experience. Sometimes it can become very hot, you know, anger, fear, very, very strong emotions can, you know, arise. And then to be able to hold steady with that is not easy. So, you know, having meditation practice is very supportive. And then, you know, when the, when the heat of the transformation process starts to cool down, which it eventually does, then the warmth of the Brahma Viharas, you know, of Metta, Karuna, Mudita, and Ubeka, that's what stays behind. So that the heat of, of the transformation process is necessary in order, you know, to produce wisdom and compassion. And that's, you know, where, where the really difficult point is of the practice. And in a, in a little meditation session, you, you can experience that, you know, when you just don't want to cut through the habit, you just want to stay with it because it feels so, you know, you're so used to it, it's so easy. And, you know, to cut through and to come back to the present moment is, is challenging. But if you have done it often enough, you know, then there is much more capacity for, you know, for having, having that warmth of, of understanding and of the Brahma Viharas for our own, you know, experience and also for, you know, for what we meet in other people. And, you know, metta practice is, is, uh, if it's if it's truly coming, you know, from you know, if it's not just like that we are talking ourselves into meta, but that we really, you know, develop meta through through our own experience. If it's a result of you know having really been able to open up to other people or open up to to ourselves, to our own fears, you know, to our own neediness, to our own doubts, to our own uh, longings, you know, then if there's, if there's a true matter uh, coming through from, from that knowing, you know, how difficult the human condition can be. 
I think it can be a very powerful practice. I myself, I don't, I'm not very um, interested, you know, in just kind of repeating some sentences. But I, I feel like, you know, to kind of bring up that, uh, you know, that emotion of meta, and then through reflecting on on maybe somebody who evokes that meta in me, you know, like maybe a little baby, for example, or some a beautiful animal or a, you know, a being who I really had a very positive experience with. And then, you know, let that meta kind of, you know, arise in the heart. And just by paying attention to it, it it's going to, you know, kind of start to blossom and then just let it, let it radiate as far as it wants to radiate, you know, not having any agenda that it has to be, you know, till, you know, that it has to have a certain, uh, you know, radius or a certain amount of, uh, it has to go, you know, till the end of San Rafael or all around the planet or whatever, these different uh, meditation practices. I just feel like just sitting with the recognition of, of meta and letting it radiate as, as much as it wants to. I think that can be a very, you know, good practice. It's, it's, a, it's a concentration practice. And at the same time, also, it develops a, a quality of heart. So I think it's a very good practice because you, you, you kind of are cultivating two different um, capacities, you know, at the same time. And I think it's, it's a very powerful uh, um, <coughs> attitude, you know, to develop, which can be very helpful in so many situations, you know, where nothing else helps. But metta always helps, isn't it? Towards our own, uh, you know, shortcomings and, and shortcomings of others. And... Uh, in the, you know, in the Pali Canon, the Buddha doesn't speak much about meta practice, but he speaks about it in terms of, uh, you know, like a trumpeter who comes, you know, somebody in the old times when there were announcements made in the in the on the main square of the city, you know, somebody would come with an instrument and would stand there and then would with the with this trumpet, you know, in all four directions would just make a sound. So that people hear it and they come, you know, for this announcement, they come to this to that place. So he compares it with like a trumpet or standing, you know, and just like in all four directions, making himself heard. This is the way how the Buddha suggests, you know, we practice metta. So very very simple, you know, no no need to um, do a lot of um, embellishment, because I see, I'm personally, you know, very much uh, think that the meditation practice is, is much more like about, you know, cutting back on needing so much props for everything, you know, because we already so overly, uh, you know, hijacked by, you know, buying a lot of things in order to prop ourselves up against everything. So I feel like the meditation practice or the spiritual practice, I think is, is, a, is a training ground for actually becoming more simple and, and becoming less dependent on, because, you know, spirituality can become just another entertainment project, you know. Mm -hmm. Even, 
you know, we mightn't be aware of it, but it is, it, we are very much in danger, you know, to go down the same road as with everything else. So I, I, tr I always try to encourage, you know, simplicity, because I think that's very important. That is a self-empowerment, you know, to, to be content with little and to, to kind of, you know, see how, how the mind is constantly going around to, to, to find something to hold on to. And, and to just try to, to see that, that, that addiction, you know, to constantly want something. If it gets a little bit boring, a certain kind of practice we have been doing, just looking for something else and, and finding somebody else and reading another book and trying something else and never getting anywhere. Always staying in the surface because as soon as it becomes uncomfortable, when, when the practice would really start, we think there's something wrong. I need something else, you know. I think that's very important to kind of look at that, you know. Because we can fool ourselves like that for, for 30 years, you know, constantly exchanging for something else, for something else, because it doesn't work in the way we thought it would. And I think we have to go through that, uh, um, you know, like, yeah, almost like, you know, when you give up an addiction, you go through that emptiness, you know. And, and in the beginning, it, it has a very negative connotation because it, it's, it's scary, you know. But a, a real good practice is actually, you know, to make friends with that emptiness because that's, that's the true nature of things. And then, you know, the preliminary perception of it is there's something lacking here, there's something missing here. But then if you can stay long enough with it and you sensitize yourself to it, it suddenly shows that it is it's not a lack, it's a fullness of potential. But first, because of our the coarseness of our minds, we can't connect with it. We just see the lack. But then if you stay with it long enough, same with the silence, you know. If you can stay long enough with the silence, you you actually notice that there is a lot in that silence, you know. There's a potential for all sounds is in the silence because without silence, there's no sound. In the beginning, we only see that there's nothing there. But then if you keep looking, if you don't run over, you know, after something else, if you just stay long enough, it reveals itself. You know, and to have that strength of heart and mind, this is what we are really training here, you know. And... And that's, you know, that's not easy to sell nowadays, you know, because people can't even understand what is on offer, you know, because they, they, they don't wait long enough. They just go somewhere else. And, yeah. And, um, you know, if you can really make friends with that... Uh, you know, with the uncertainty of just being with what is without commenting on it and without kind of projecting into the future, then that, you know, that, that uncertainty just, you know, it, it starts to change and it becomes like a, a kind of a potential for 
for blossoming really and for for connecting with a much greater intelligence than what the thinking mind can come up with because the thinking mind is very limited you know because it operates in dualistic uh, ways of uh, thinking about everything you know as yes and no good and bad and wanting and not wanting and all of those things, there's nothing wrong with it because we need this way of thinking in order to function, but we don't need to, but it's not all there is. There's much more than that. And, you know, and the meditation is, is a technology to connect us with this much greater intelligence, which is operating, you know, since billions of years and obviously, you know, doesn't need our little minds to... Uh, function. It's functioning since, you know, this planet is, is uh, on its way since uh, over four billion years and it's amazing things have happened, you know, and happen every moment and we don't have a clue what's going on really. We have a certain kind of very partial understanding which, you know, is... Uh, indeed very partial because we have, you know, managed to, um, you know, bring our planet into very difficult situation right now with the way how we live because we are so ignorant. So, you know, to learn how we can align ourselves much more with this uh, greater intelligence, I think is a very important practice you know, for us and also what we leave behind, you know, for future generations. And uh, therefore I think you know, this practice has never been as important as it is now. Even when we have so much, uh, you know, scientific uh, so-called progress, but still it's, you know, the human uh, conceptual mind isn't able to grasp or understand completely what what this life is all about. We have to, you know, meet that in a different way by, you know, by opening in a, in a different way, by opening like from here rather than from here because that is a very good tool for, you know, driving home maybe after the talk but not for understanding reality. And uh, I don't know if I have not been, you know, speaking about all of the questions you had. It was about Vita, about, about a breathing, about Meta you were speak, asking. Was there any, what were you saying? Pain. Yourself? Pain, yeah, about pain, yeah. Pain, yeah, I think, you know, I myself, I'm very fortunate. I, I have no, almost no bodily pain, so I'm not very good one to ask about this, I must admit. But, but generally, you know, what, what I would always say is, you know, pain, if it's mental pain or physical pain, I would say, you know, rather than turning away from it, is to, to turn towards it, because that's a very good way to learn from it. But if a physical pain is just like so extreme, I've heard other people saying, you know, it's very good to find another, uh, find uh, 
portion of your body where there is no pain, for example, and, and focus on that part. That can help very much, maybe. Or maybe go back and forth between the pain and another part of the body where there is no pain. And then also, you know, just to be with the pain and see, you know, how the pain is changing. It's not like a, a solid block of pain, but it's, it's, it's a process. Yeah, I, have, I don't have much experience with that. Maybe you have to ask somebody else. But I know there is, you know, a lot of material about, you know, working with pain in the meditation. Yes. Was there something else? Yes. You talked about that kind of catch or... Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. When I was saying about, you know, open your shoulders so that you, you can feel, you know, your, because I feel my experience, you know, meeting other people, you know, meeting other beings. I feel here's a lot of, you, f you feel other people here, you know, in, in, in the heart area and the chest area. And then, you know, if we maybe like fearful or depressed or something, we tend to be like kind of like this, you know, to just shut down here. And then if you make like a conscious, like, like this, you know, there's like a certain hesitation to do that because we just want to protect this, you know. And when I speak about the meditation posture, like I'm saying, you know, to express in your whole posture that you actually want to be here, you know. You want to know what it is, you know, to be a human being, meeting other people, having experiences. And then if you are really open here, you have more access, you feel more, you know. And, and the capacity to feel, this is also something we can develop in the meditation. Because, you know, the, you can, one way how we can, can see what we are doing as human beings, you know, we are constantly running after pleasant feeling and, and want to run away from unpleasant feeling and want to control as much as we can, you know, by shopping this and doing this and so on and so forth. So we become very dependent on controlling our experience. Whereas it would be very good, you know, to actually to build up the capacity to be with the power of feelings, you know, because this is just one level of of how we how we can, you know, like one of the five khandas, basically one of the five uh, groups of how we experience our world. I don't know if you have heard about that, the five khandas. Have you? The five aggregates, the second one being feeling, or also the four foundations of mindfulness, the sec second one being feeling. So feeling, you know, is, is very central to being a human being or being a sentient being, an animal as well, you know. Feeling is just extremely central. And, and we, we get a lot of information through feeling, you know, in terms of, you know, how to maneuver this body through the world Feeling is, is very important to know, you know, what to do and what not to do in order to survive. But then also we have, we have mental feelings as well, you know, and, and we don't necessarily need to act on all of this, you know, but we need to develop the strength, you know, to, to receive those feelings and, you know, through, through kind of receiving them to transform them. Because otherwise, you know, if we constantly, 
you know, live in the past, basically, because some we can have very strong experiences very early on in life and then, you know, repeat according those lines, you know, again and again and again, because we don't have the, you know, the courage maybe to go through the transformation process of, of receiving those feelings, you know, grieving maybe what has happened in the past by really being fully with it and then letting it go. And then there's more space there. So, you know, to, to develop that uh, capacity to be with feeling is, is very important. And it's little things like that you can, you, you can see it, you know. I'd rather see it like that because it feels safer, you know. But then, you know, like 30 years down the line, you have like a, a back like that, you know, and a lot of pain. So it's much better, you know, to be with the little pain of the hesitation of opening the chest rather than 30 years down the line, you have a curved spine, you know, and you need, I don't know, you need to go and have a lot of, you know, issues. So it starts with, with very small things where we can notice, you know, how the power of habit can be there and we don't notice it. <coughs> and if we don't know it, there's nothing we can do about it. So to just, you know, watch, you know, watch especially those areas, you know, where it starts to get a little bit uncomfortable and just look into it, what is it, you know? Why, why is that? And they're challenging oneself just a little bit, you know, to just stretch a little bit further. can be, I think, useful, you know, with practice. Just whenever there is these certain habits we have, you know, to just give, stretch ourselves a little bit, you know. If you want something, like want a cup of coffee, it's not that you shouldn't have it, but it's, it's good to know, to see this, the wanting, you know. Maybe you just delay it for five minutes and just watch the wanting, you know, and know that this, this wanting, you know, can be very, very devastating. In, in certain circumstances, you know, if people don't have the capacity to just know the wanting and then make a choice if they act on it or not, you know. Very small things, you know, can be very powerful uh, insights into how, you know, what it is to, to be a human being, you know, with all of those uh, habits we have. And it's not saying that there's anything bad about it, but just if we're ignorant and we don't know how it works, you know, our lives, we just, you know, we, there's just so much more we, we can know if we just, you know, take an interest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, one way is, as I said before, with, you know, having like an object, you know, which arouses that matter in you. But then, you know, who knows how long you can hold it, you know, because if you start grasping to that feeling, you know, that it really isn't very helpful either. But I think, you know, true matter comes from, you know, just through going to the fire yourself, you know, really. And it also depends, you know, some people, they're already, when they're born with, with like a lot of matter already, because maybe in another lifetime they have developed that. So it depends. You know, uh, it, there's no, nothing one can really kind of say which fits for everybody. But if it's if it's true, 
you know, through compassion and through matter, it is always, you know, accompanied by wisdom. Otherwise, it's not true matter. Otherwise, it's just like kind of, you know, wanting everything to be nice or something like that. That's not matter. There's something else, you know. That's attachment, probably. So, you know, matter can, a true matter or the true Brahma Viharas, you know, they are really, once the heat of the transformation process cools down, the warmth which stays, that's what I understand the Brahma Viharas to be, you know. It comes from experience because you can't kind of whip up a true matter, you know. So, but you know, but maybe one can get an idea, you know, what it is, but then you have to go through the practice and uh, and then over the years, you know, it, it will just kind of, it's just a, the, the result of when you, when you tend things in a garden, you can't just like pull it up and say, grow, grow quickly and just say a few sentences and it doesn't, it doesn't really work. It, it doesn't really uh, hold, you know, hold its promise when, when you're challenged because, you know, the Brahma Viharas is, is there's a qualities which you need to apply if, if, you know, maybe the, you know, the waves are really high, you know, there's a lot of challenges. And this is when you need those, those qualities in order to be, to stay, you know, and to embrace what's happening. If it's, if it's just like a matter which comes from sentences, you know, like which you tell yourself, it's not strong enough, you know. You know, just to, to go through the experience and notice when you don't have matter, you know. Notice when you, when you, and not, you know, being honest with oneself, you know, if you, you would like to have, you know, matter for a certain quality of yourself or somebody else, but it just doesn't come, you know, because the heart is not yet strong enough. And then just know that too. And be, be with that, you know, and be with the, the grief of that maybe. And that's how you, how true matter will be the result of it if you go through the whole uh, process, you know, of composting, your regrets and composting your fears and composting your dislikes and all of that and going through, you know, transforming it and then there will be a true matter, you know, which will be then always with you, even in more very challenging situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think also, you know, it's, it's, it's the true nature of our minds, I think, you know, like, that emptiness, you know, which is actually a fullness, you know, and metta, karuna, upeka, and uh, mudita, those four Brahma Viharas, they are all qualities, you know, of 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 our mind, and but it's all laid over with loads of conditioning, and we don't have to make metta happening. It's just, you know, kind of to pull away all of the habits, and then what's there is metta, which is is has always already been here. But we have lost the connection with it because of all of the, you know, the overlay of conditioning. And that needs to be, you know, that can only be removed through insight. And, uh, and transformation is, you know, is, is that process, you know, of, of creating insight through, through that fire, you know. And that fire, you know, everything which... I think that's a saying of um, Viktor Frankl, who was an Austrian uh, therapist, who, who was a Jew, who was in the, in the 
camps, you know, in the Second World War. And he, there's a, a very powerful saying, he says, you know, everything which gives light must burn. And he must know because he got, went through hell. So that, that burning, you know, creates the light of insight. And, and then what's, when the burning cools down, the matter will be there, you know, or, or the compassion will be there. And it will be true compassion, not just something you are telling yourself, you know, because it comes from experience. And, uh, and without that fire, it's not gonna, you know, you can't cook a meal, as, you know, which you can digest and nourishes you without fire, you need that fire. And, and the practice is, is like, you know, enabling us to, to make a real strong pot so that can really cook well. And then afterwards, there's really something there, you know, you can give to others and to yourself. And meaning, I'm meaning the light, you know, of, of insight, yeah. And it has to be just for one moment, you know, like a cave which has been dark for a million years. If you flash a light just once, you see the cave for that moment and it's never going to be the same as it was before when it was dark. So you know that this is just a flash. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.